Amen. So we are continuing in our study of traits. And uh, as we continue, like I said, we have a few weeks left. Uh, we'll probably wrap up uh, 1st of January, uh, sometime in there. Uh, I do want to mention before we get started that there will be a second D-group leader meeting. And so if you missed this past Sunday's D-group leader meeting and you intend on leading a D-group, uh, we will have a meeting in the conference room next Wednesday night during service. So it will be at 6.30 next Wednesday night in the conference room. So if you missed it, uh, we'll, it will be the same uh, meeting that we had this past Sunday. But we'll discuss the new layout and the new book. So if you are leading and you didn't get a chance to come, make sure you come next Wednesday night, 6.30 in the conference room. All right? Yeah, so as we get started tonight, you know, we think about life. And I, I want you to think about the things that take place in your life. Now, I know... Uh, you know, right now, lots is going on, right? I'm super, super, super busy, and all kinds of things are happening, and lots of places to be and things to do and take care of, and I want to, you know, I want to savor the moment. I love Christmas, and so I want to savor the moment and everything that uh, comes with that. And, uh, but as we think about life in totality, you know, lots of things happen in life, right? I mean, you know, if we were to ask, hey, what happened today, there'd be some stories of things that took place, you know. Uh, different things happen in life. You know, on the way over here this afternoon to church, there was a couple police officers with their lights on past us, and there was an ambulance past us going the other way. And so whatever scenarios they were involved in, people were involved in that. And uh, so life has these events that take place, and those events sometimes are really good, right? So we, you know, we have things that take place in our life, and we're excited about those, and uh, we're grateful for those moments. And then sometimes things happen in our life, and they're not good. Right? We all have these moments that we experience, and uh, so we go through these circumstances, and, uh, you know, we want to weigh those out, right? We, wanna, we want the good times to last longer than the bad times. You know, like, for instance, you know, Christmas, I want to stretch it out. I want to listen to Christmas music for two or three months. I want to decorate early. I want to maximize the time, you know, to enjoy it. And so we want to enjoy those good times as long as we can. And then the, the bad times, right, we want those to last as short as they can. You know, if we're in hardship or difficulty or whatever it may be, we don't want that to last very long. We just want God to write the answer you know, whatever it is that we're going through, and we want to just move on. That's human nature. And so as we get started here tonight on your handout, the question is not if we will face troubles and difficulties, but when will we face troubles and difficulties, right? Life, life just happens, and there's always difficulties with life. It's human nature, right? Euphoria would lure us into believing that everything can be perfect and good and we could all live in the Garden of Eden. And, in, and you know, in, in fact, that is God's intention that we originally would have been that way. But unfortunately, that's not how it turned out because we know the story of Adam and Eve, right? And so we have these situations in our life. So no one goes through life scot-free, right? No one is, you know, Teflon to difficult situations. Every one of us face difficult situations. And sometimes we face a lot of trouble or a lot of difficult situations. So the question that we want to answer tonight is, how do we respond to those? Because it's inevitable that you're going to 
ex- uh, to face that, right? You're going to experience that. And so maybe you're here tonight, and you're in the midst of a difficult season. Uh, you know, I had a friend write uh, some stuff the other day about a difficulty. You know, they have a blog. So they were writing some things about, you know, some financial trouble and some different things that they were going through. And so we all have difficulties. And so if you're not in the middle of a difficulty or said a church way, if you're not in the valley, right, and you're on the mountaintop right now, there's a valley coming, right? You know, you you don't live on the mountain, but thankfully, you don't live, we don't live in the valley. And so I want to encourage us tonight through a trait that we see from God uh, of how we respond when difficult times come. So I want you to think about this. So many people have come before you and me, and they have given up. Right, they faced a difficult situation. You know them, I know them, we all know them. Maybe it's even you, that you faced a difficult situation and your response to that was just to give up. That you just threw in the towel, that you didn't try anymore. We all know people like that or maybe you are like that, that you have just given up. I mean, you think about that as I was thinking about our time tonight. Um, you know, I, I thought about people that quit school. How many times have you heard people say, you know, I, I, I quit school. I went through X grade or, you know, I, I didn't finish my degree or I went to school and, and didn't graduate or whatever it may be. That is so common in our culture today, whether it's school How about jobs? I mean, think about how many times people change jobs today. If you rewind 25 or 30 years, people would get a job. They'd go to school. They'd get a job. And then they would what? They would retire. And there's many of you in here that worked at jobs for, you know, decades. That used to be very common. Now today, that's not very common. And so if somebody stayed around at a job for any period of time longer than a decade, you say, oh, well, you know, what's going on there? How about people? We quit on people all the time. Think about your life right now. Who do you know from five years ago in your life? How about 10 years ago? Who's in your life from 20 years ago? Right? And so as we think about this, and I mean, you could extend that on out depending on your age. So you think about this, we are prone to give up. We give up on people. We give up on circumstances. We give up on situations. Uh, You know, as I thought about this, I thought about marriage. You know, you look at the divorce ratio and you say, well, how many people are sticking it out in their marriages? And so it's all across society, whether it be, you know, one of the things you start to see today in professional athletes is uh, nobody wants a bad situation. They don't want to play on a losing team and build it back up, right? They want to go to, so they all gather together on the winning team. That's what all of them want to do now is they all want to work together on the winning team. Nobody wants to play, uh, you know, on the team that they've got to struggle or work for it, right? And so our society, whether, it doesn't matter where you look, you find this, this quit attitude. You, you find this give up attitude. You find when difficulty arises that, well, I just don't want to face that, and so I just walk away from it. You see, God, God didn't make us to be that way. That is not how God made us. All throughout Scripture, now I tell you what, I got excited when I thought about this. All throughout Scripture, God empowered His people to succeed. Listen, all throughout Scripture, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, but the Bible is full, it is chock full of people who had difficult situations, and guess what they did? They made it to the other side. I was talking about giants earlier before a service, and uh, think about David. 
You know, what if David would have shown up and just like everybody else in the Israeli army, he said, I'm not going to do that. That's too hard. Goliath is too big. Everybody else said that, right? And so many times in our life, we find ourselves in circumstances that we say, well, that situation is too difficult, or this conversation is too hard, or this, uh, you know, circumstance is too difficult for me to make it through, or no one else has experienced that. That is not true. All right, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing in your life that you're experiencing that someone else hasn't experienced before. There's nothing. It's a lie from the devil for you to believe that you're the only one that is going through that. Someone has been through whatever you are experiencing. See, God made us to succeed. Think about this. For 40 years in the wilderness, the wilderness couldn't keep the Israelites down. It didn't wipe the Israelites out. Think about the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. For 70 years, they found themselves in captivity. Did it demolish the Israeli nation? No, it did not. The Jews, guess what happened to the Jews? They still continued to exist. The oppression of the Pharisees couldn't stop the igniting of the gospel. I mean, look at all of the laws that the Pharisees came up with, 613 laws that they came up with to try to oppress the explosion of the gospel. Ultimately, it was what they were attempting to do without knowing it. Think about the false accusations of the religious crowd, the betrayal of Judas that led to the crucifixion. None of that could keep Jesus in the grave, right? Think about that. The resolve of Paul, who was rescued not only from himself, but from being beaten and imprisoned and stoned, none of that could stop the spread of the gospel. None of it. You and I sit in this room tonight because of these realities. Because the gospel was not suppressed because of a difficult situation. All of our lives, every one of us, all of our lives have been impacted by people who refused to quit. Every one of us are a recipient of the fact that the 11 disciples refused to bow down to uh, demonic oppression or religious oppression or cultural oppression or whatever you want to call it. They said, Jesus is better. Right? And they continued to persevere in the face of difficulty. As a matter of fact, if you read in Acts, the Bible says uh, in Acts that the, the gospel was to be uh, to go to, Jer- to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as they began to promote the gospel, it says, and I'm trying to find it here real quick, uh, I think it's in chapter, it's in Acts chapter 9 or 10, I believe. Uh, that it says that there was great persecution, and it says that the church dispersed, but it says that the disciples stayed. They stayed. And so many times for us, what we do is we run. We run from difficulties. We run from disagreements. We don't stand and stay in the moment and persevere to see what God has in store for us. How many people uh, don't go to this church that used to go to this church? How many of us used to go to another church that now go to this church, right? Every one of us has been impacted by the reality that oftentimes we just quit. We give up, but we've all been impacted by people who have refused to quit. And so if you haven't picked up on it already, tonight is for perseverance. Perseverance. 
You see, God made us to persevere. God made us to succeed. God made us to prevail. You can fill in the blank there with many, many words. And so as we think about perseverance, I want to remind you tonight that perseverance only comes forth in difficult situations. It only comes forth in difficult situations. No one has ever had to persevere through good times, right? I mean, think about it. all the think of all the good things or the last good thing that happened in your life. You weren't thinking, man, I hope this ends soon, right? I mean, think about Thanksgiving. You know, I, I like Thanksgiving, uh, I like smoked turkey. And so for Thanksgiving, Melly makes, uh, she makes this awesome dressing. And so uh, it's chicken dressing and, and smoked turkey. No one is eating that meal thinking, man, I hope this goes quickly, right? Not, not me. When I'm eating that meal, I'm thinking, God, would you multiply this turkey and just let it continue to abound on my plate, right? I want as much of it as I can eat. I'm, I'm making the slices smaller when I'm cutting the turkey so psychologically I can get more, right? I mean, you think of all the things that happen in our life. You think of a, a, a good time that maybe a vacation, right? You go somewhere or you have a visit from a friend you haven't seen in a long time. And you relish those moments and you cherish those moments. And you want those moments to last. Like the Christmas season, you want it to last. No one has ever said, I hope these good times end soon. No, nobody says that. What we say is, I hope this lasts forever. Man, I don't want this to end. We want it to go on and on. And so for perseverance, unfortunately for us, the way that we establish and the way that we experience and the way that this is promoted in our life is through difficult situations. And so let's start with a working definition tonight of perseverance. Perseverance is the determination that as long as you and I are in control we will hold on until things beyond our control force us to let go. In other words, I'm going to persevere as long as I have the ability to persevere. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to continue on as long as I'm the one who has the ability to control that. Right? And so perseverance has a lot to do with being in control right? Being in control of our situations, being focused on the things that we can control. You know, in difficult situations, uh, I was taught uh, years ago to focus on what I can control. Don't focus on what I can't control. Focus on what I can control. And so in difficult situations, that's what we have to do is, what is it that I can control? And whatever I can control, that's what I've got to focus on, and I've got to do my part in that moment. You know, what happens with us oftentimes in difficult situations is we just throw caution to the wind and we just lose all sense of, of reality. And we get so fixated on the problem that we're facing, we lose context around that problem. Perseverance says, here's the situation. What do I control? I'm going to focus on what I can control until forces outside of my control cause me to have to let go. You see, holding on is really what perseverance is all about, is holding on. You see, it's not how hard we try necessarily, but it's how long you try. You know, for us, when we think about difficult situations, uh, we think about persevering through that. Well, we have to ask ourselves the question, we want to know how long is this going to last? 
You know, right, if we, if we all said, all right, we're leaving here, we're going to the front parking lot, and uh, everybody has to do this, and we're all going to take a jog down John Clark. Well, the first question I'm asking is, how far do we have to go, right? I want to know what the end result is. Because if we know what the end result is, it's a lot easier for us to persevere in the moment. And that's the unknown in life, right? I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know how long this difficulty, uh, I'm going to experience this difficulty. And so in that moment, if I don't have control of that, so as humans what we say is, I don't know what the end result is, so I'm going to take control of something I don't have control over, and I'm going to end it right now. I, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that. Can I get an Amen. Right? So what we do is we want to control not what we can control, but we want to control what we don't control so that we can end the difficulty that we are facing. And so when we think about difficult situations, when we go through difficult situations, we often are tempted to do two things. Now, the first thing is that we say, well, God, you don't love me, and so we quit God. How many people, you know, that's a big thing right now, uh, is the deconstruction of faith is what they're calling it. I don't know if you've read anything on this, but it's the deconstruction of faith. And so it's where people who used to say that they followed Christ now no longer say that they follow Christ. And they, they give it this fancy word, deconstruction of faith. And so what happens is we, we find ourselves in situations that we don't understand. We find ourselves in situations that are unfavorable, right? And the response is, number one, that we can quit God. We can say, well, you know what, this is the temptation that the world gives us is, well, God doesn't love you. How would God, how would a loving God allow that to happen in your life? These are all things that you would hear uh, spoken from the world. And so the temptation would be, well, then I should quit God because following God is supposed to be easy. Right? No? Right? That's what the world says. Following God is supposed to be easy. And following God is supposed to be rewarding today, right now. And so for me, if I'm in a difficult situation, then God must not love me, or I must be doing this wrong, or I must have misunderstood what God called me to do. And so we focus on the problem instead of focusing on the solution. And the result that our flesh tells us is, well, God must not love me, so I should quit God. Right? I, I'm, I can think of many situations in my life to where I face a difficult situation. And I began to question my decisions. And I began to question the things around me. The bigger the difficulty, the more questions we begin to ask. And the temptation from the enemy is, well, God must not love you. You can't continue to follow a God that would allow that. So temptation number one, quitting God. Temptation number two would be to quit your faith in God. That you say, well, I'm not only going to stop following well, I don't even believe that that's actually true. Again, these are the progressive steps of the deconstruction of faith that they call it today, quotations. And it's saying, well, I, I don't even have the faith to believe that God would do that, or I don't even have the faith to believe that God is, in fact, who He is. You see, our view of God in these moments really declares what we believe to be true about Him. Right? Do you really believe that God is who He says He is? Right? What is going to force you to, for that to be a reality in your life? I can tell you all day long that I believe uh, that there's a tree in Rockefeller Plaza in New York. I've never been there at Christmas. I want to go one day. I can tell you all day long that it's there. But until I go see it with my eyes, right, I don't actually know that that is the case. 
And so for us, when we think about those things, we can say, well, I believe this to be true about God, but until I experience that in my own life, right, that's where the rubber meets the road. Think about this. I think that our progression of faith in knowing God is in pieces. Okay, follow me here. So as we're young, as we're children, we know God as what? As creator God. So if you have young children, this is how you introduce God to them. They learn him as creator God. That God, look around. God created the stars. God created the trees. God created everything around us. So they learn God as creator. And then as we see throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, like with Abraham and Sarah. And we see that, you know, the situation with uh, Abraham, you're going to have a child, and he doesn't believe, and so he goes and has a, a child uh, not with his wife, and then God, she runs off, and then God says, what? I'm the God who sees. I'm El Roy. And so she experienced the God who sees her in her present trouble. Or we may experience God as a provider that we, we need, we have a need, and God provides that for us. And so as we progressively experience these uh, attributes, if you will, of God, we begin to know God and to learn God in different and deeper ways. And it's the same way with our faith in difficulties, that if we just simply rehearse these things over and over in our minds, but we never actually experience in our hearts the things that we believe, the question that I would ask is, do you really believe what you say you believe? You know, it's easy to say, God will take care of me, but until you depend on God to take care of you, you don't actually believe that. And so the challenge for us is that when we find ourselves in these situations, it's not that we would say the Sunday school answer, but it, was, it is that we would declare the things that we actually know to be true in our own lives. It's not that we haven't had lack of opportunity to believe these things about God. It's that we haven't applied these things about God. And so we try to avoid circumstances that cause us to believe the things that we say we believe. I know it sounds like the craziest thing, but it's absolutely true. None of us want to experience difficulty. I'm not saying race out there and make your life hard. What I am saying is that in the moments that you find yourself in, whatever they may be, good or bad, that you press into the reality of who God is in those moments. The Bible says that all good things come from God. So if you find yourself in a good moment, if you find yourself on a mountaintop, then you can know and believe that, in fact, it's because of the blessings of God that you found yourself in that situation. And you can press into that reality to know of God uh, as the God who blesses, right? But in difficult moments, we have to also press in and say, God, you're the God who sees. You're the God who perseveres. You're the God who preserves. You're the God who provides. And the list goes on and on. And so it's our view of God that really declares what we believe to be true about him in those moments. You see, when life knocks us down, we will either lower our view of God or we will raise our faith in God. You see, when difficulties happen, again, what the, the world says, well, you should quit God or your faith. How can your faith be in someone who would allow that to happen? And so we begin to lower our view of God. And here's what I think, here's what I think happens in the Bible Belt. I'll give you Matt's opinion. Here's what I think happens. I think that we find ourselves in difficult situations, and I think the temptation is to quit or question God or maybe to question our faith, but I don't think that that's the commonality. Here's what I think the commonality is. I think that you stop asking God for things that you didn't get the, the right answer to. I think that's what happens. 
I think that we find ourselves in difficult situations and God doesn't do what we think God ought to do. So when we find ourselves in those moments again, we stop asking God in those moments. And we believe, which is certainly a fallacy, but we believe that in those moments, I'll handle it the way I handled it last time or I'll experience the way that I experienced it last time. And I no longer will try to attempt to depend upon God in that circumstance because He didn't do what I wanted Him to do the last time I face this. So we lower our view of God. We say, God, you're not who I thought you were or who I wanted you to be. And so we begin to diminish God. Or the opposite is that we'll raise our faith in God. That we say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand that. I don't understand these circumstances. But I know your nature and I know who you are, and I know what you've done, and you've always done what you said you'll do. And so in faith, I'm going to believe that you're going to continue to have that same nature. And I don't know how you're going to resolve this, and this is uh, insurmountable, this you know, impassable mountain in front of me, but you're God, and I'm going to elevate my view of you because this situation is larger than anything that I've experienced before. You see, that's the way that we encounter situations. And the temptation, again, is that we would lower God, that we would diminish God because we're tangible, right? And we want to see actual immediate results. And oftentimes, faith, again, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So as we think about perseverance, I want to give you a couple of reasons why we have perseverance. And then I want to give you some encouraging steps to walk away or to step into perseverance. So uh, first of all, let's talk about uh, what perseverance is. Well, perseverance is possible because it's birthed in faith. Perseverance is birthed in faith. You see, Hebrews 11:1, as I mentioned, says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And so when we think about perseverance, I persevere because of who I believe in, right? So as believers, we persevere because of who we believe in. We can remain steadfast. We can remain in the moment trusting God through our present difficulties because why? Because we know the outcome. Right? If you look around the world today, well, it doesn't look very good, all right? But I don't have my faith in this world. My faith doesn't reside in who's president, or my faith doesn't reside in who's the elected official, or my faith doesn't reside in medicine, or my faith doesn't reside in any of those things. My faith resides in who God is, right? Jesus said, I'm the way of the truth and life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. That's where my faith resides, and I'm not sure how all this is going to end culturally, and I'm not sure how it's going to end, uh, you know, nationally, but I know how it's going to end spiritually, right? I've read the last chapter. And so perseverance is birthed in faith. And so if you sit here tonight and say, well, I'm a quitter. I quit everything. You know, I look back over my life, and I quit grade school basketball, and I quit this, and I quit that, and I'm never stuck with anything. Well, it starts with what you have faith in. You see, if you have faith in your ability, your ability will fail you. I'm, I'm mid-40s now, and I can't play sports like I used to, but my brain tells me, no, you're good. Get out there. You can do it. But it's what do you have faith in? If I continue to have faith in my physical body, well, it's teaching me, Matt, you might want to find something else to believe in, right? And so it's what do you have your faith in? 
Your faith has to be in God. You see, the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. And so love of God is what faith is birthed in. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the love chapter, right? He says, love bears all things. Paul writes, uh, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and love endures all things. And so our faith comes from what? Our faith comes from the reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. And so our faith is rooted in love. So when I'm loved, I can do harder things, right? When I'm not loved, I can't do hard things. I need to know that I'm loved if I'm doing something hard, right? And you're the same way. We're geared that way. And so Jesus knew without a shadow of a doubt that God loved him immeasurably. And Jesus, God showed us through his son Jesus that what? That he loves us immeasurably. And so my perseverance is based on the reality that I have faith in the God that can do anything. You see, love for God enables believers who undergo trials to rest confidently in Him. You see, if I know and believe and have faith in the fact that God loves me, then I can endure whatever it is that I face. Why can I do that? Because I know that He perfectly loves me and that love overcomes my situation. How does that happen? I don't want you to walk away with fluff, okay? How does love overcome the situation? Because regardless of the situation, if I know that I'm loved, the one who loves me will be there at the end of that situation, right? And so I don't have to worry that whatever damage I may incur in the midst of that situation, love is still going to persevere. Because what, what, what is it at the end? Paul says at the end, he says, uh, these things remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? And when we stand before God, the culmination, I've said this before, the culmination of our faith, when we stand before God face to face, it won't be faith Right? Because that's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have visible. We're in front of God. Faith is not there. It's not hope. Right? Hope doesn't exist when I'm standing face to face with Creator God. And so what will exist in that moment? Love. Love will exist in that moment. And so that's what gives me faith and perseverance. Because I know that God loves me. And I know that God will see me through, not based on what I think will be seeing me through, but based on His love to see me through. You see, the steadfastness of God reveals His love for me. And so, perseverance is birthed in faith. So, again, if you say, well, you know, I'm not real good at persevering. Well, it starts with what you or who you have your faith in, not what you have your faith in. So many times we put our faith in things, and faith for perseverance has to be rooted, it has to be birthed in God. Number two, perseverance is focused on hope. So it's rooted, it's birthed in faith, but it's focused on hope. Again, think about it. Uh, Several years ago, we were in Brazil, and um, you know, you go at different times. Uh, If you get a chance to go on mission, you should definitely go there. 
And uh, so it depends on when you go. So if you go during the rainy season, you have to go a certain way to get to the villages that we go to. Or if it's the dry season, then we can drive a lot farther in the bus and we don't have to ride motorcycles or canoes to get to where we're going. And so we had gone during the rainy season and so the waters, you know, were high everywhere. We couldn't get the bus a lot of places. So we had to take motorcycles and canoes. And so we had, uh, we had gotten up early that morning. We had gotten on uh, motorcycles. And so we had gone for about an hour and a half on motorcycles. Motorcycles, and then we got off motorcycles, and we got in canoes, and then we went down this river, and uh, so we're going, you know, there, we're in Brazil, and so, you know, if you get a hole in your canoe in Brazil, you don't run down to Home Depot, right? And so we're riding in this canoe, and, you know, I'm just taking all this in, and so we get out of the canoe. Now we've been about two and a half hours on this journey, and then we start walking. Now, a lot of the Brazilians that go with us, they're barefooted. You know, they're just walking wherever. And so we're walking literally through brush that's, you know, waist high. And we're in the middle of the jungle, by the way. I mean, we're not walking a path. We're just following these guys through the woods. And so Melanie was with me on this trip. And so we're going. And we had been walking for like 30 minutes. Now, now we're about three and a half hours into this journey, all right? I know where we're going, at least I hope that's where we're going. And so I'm walking, and I'm, I'm not saying a word. I'm just walking. And uh, Melanie was ahead of me. She looked back, and she said, uh, why aren't you saying anything? And I said, I'm just trying to make it, all right? I'm just trying to get to wherever we're going. I've been on a motorcycle. I've been in a canoe. At this point, I'm beginning to wonder, is Tony telling the truth? Is there really a village over here, Right. But it's, it's, it's perseverance and hope that what? That what I'm doing will lead to what God wants for me, right? Now, we got to that village, and uh, that was the village. You've probably heard the story before, but it was the village where we went to the school, and there were six kids there, and they had been learning about the United States of America, and uh, they uh, had actually had a missionary, I think it was a missionary, had come through and uh, shared the gospel with them, and one of the little kids had gotten saved, and he shared the gospel with us in that village, in that school, because he had heard, just heard about Jesus. And, of course, it rocked his world. And here's these Americans that show up, and he's like, I need to tell you something about Jesus. It wasn't, you know, y'all are eight foot taller than me, or, you know, Americans will never be to my village. But it was, you need to know about Jesus. So it was a cool moment. Uh, but it's, it's rooted in what? It's rooted in hope that we know that, okay, this is hard. But I know what the end result is. And so faith is who I'm trusting in. And then hope is leading us to uh, the reality of what God has in store for us. So perseverance is only possible when hope is present. Without hope, you are not going to persevere. Right? You're not going to persevere. Only with a secure hope that is rooted in the faithfulness of God will we, will we be able to weather the storms of life. So we can endure anything when we have expected hope for a better future. You see, the reason most people quit is they don't have hope. They don't have hope. Without hope, people give up. The Christian life is powered by faith, but it has to be sustained through hope. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5. This is what Paul writes about hope. He says in Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So we have peace with God, Paul's writing here, because of faith. All right? So we establish that perseverance is birthed in faith, and then perseverance is focused on hope. And this is what he writes. Through him... 
we have also obtained access by faith, Romans 5, 2, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in, listen to this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. Because why? Because we're rooted in faith, and because of that faith, we now have hope, right? None of us have been to heaven. None of us have been there. But our faith is what is leading us to where? It's leading us to heaven. And what is heaven for us? It is the expectation and the the guaranteed hope of who Jesus is and that we'll meet him face to face, right? To be in the presence of God. That's what sin is. It is the absence of the presence of God. And so to be in the presence of God. And so our hope is what our faith is rooted in. So we, we have faith that is birth that births our perseverance number two our perseverance is focused on hope and then number three perseverance is based on trust it's birthed in faith it's birthed in faith it's focused on hope and then it's based on trust it's based on trust the, the latter part of verse three he says not only that romans 5 3 But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So we're back to hope again. And hope does not put us to shame. And so as we think about the faith that we have, our faith is rooted in the hope of the gospel that what God said He will do, He will do, right? And so Paul says that our hope then does not put us to shame. And so we trust that our hope does not put us to shame. And so what perseverance does is it's where we place our trust, right? We place our trust in God. And so Paul writes the same thing uh, when he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, he talks about uh, the things that he believes, and he says, if these things were not to be true, we are once to be pitied. Right, And so Paul is basing his faith in hope and trust of who God is. And so it's our total confidence, our trust in God is our total confidence that Christ will complete the work that he began in us. This is what enables us to persevere over a lifetime. Trust and believe that God is who he says he is. You see, when we trust God... We believe the things that he says. You see, when we think about perseverance and trust, what perseverance does is it reveals worth. It reveals worth. It reveals that Jesus is worth it, that we believe what he said he, uh, he, said he would do, and he's worth us sticking to that, right? You see, if Jesus would have given up, would have given up when it got tough, it would have revealed to us that we're not worth it, right? If he, would have, if he would have gotten arrested and then he would have been beaten and then, you know, they got the cross ready and he was like, okay, that's enough. I'm, I can't, that's far enough. It, it reveals worth. Now, we like that, right? We agree with that. But think of the opposite, okay? When we give up on our circumstances, When we give up on situations that are beyond our control, what are we saying about God? What are we saying about our trust and who we believe in? 
You see, perseverance reveals worth. And we say, God, I believe you so long as you do what I think you should do. God, I'm going to persevere in this difficult situation as long as I benefit at some point from doing that. But what happens is when we lose hope that that's not the case, then we're out. And we back away and we give up and we move, we move on with the situation. The same thing applies to us so many times, I think, in our walk with God. We believe that perseverance seems optional. We believe that it seems optional. And, and, and here's why. Is you don't really believe what you believe. You're not following what you believe. Right? If God really is sovereign in your life, then you're going to trust that to be true, and you're going to follow what He's called you to do. Here's where people get off course. You don't know what He, what he called you to do. You don't know the route you're going. And so we say, well, God, I think this is what you want me to do, but I don't trust that to be the case, and so I'm going to bail on this path because it's hard because there must be another path for me. And, and so perseverance becomes optional in our lives. Here's the big thing in the Baptist world. I like to pick on Baptists. Here's the big thing in the Baptist world. We say this, well, I can't lose my salvation. Right? I mean, I can't, I can't mess this thing up. We do. We say this. And, and here's where that's rooted in. It's rooted in the flesh. Because what that's saying is I can do anything and it's not going to mess up what God did. Which is true, but that's the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach. You see, as Baptists, we, we cling to what we call the perseverance of the saints. Which, again, is true. Now, I want to challenge you for a second. So listen to me closely. We, we believe that God is going to hold on to us for all eternity, and nothing can change our salvation. And it's not a trick question. Is that true? Of course it is. Yes, it's true. I mean, that's part of the foundation of faith of who God is, right? I mean, we just talked about the fact that God empowers His people to what? To succeed. And so the reality is that we cling to that because it makes us feel good. But why does it make us feel good? Because we don't have anything to do with it, right? That we're putting all of our trust in God and we're saying, oh, no, God's going to preserve us to the end. And so we look at the current climate socially or culturally or spiritually and we say, it's bad, but... But there's perseverance of the saints, right? And we cling to that. And we say, God is going to preserve us. And there's going to be a remnant at the end. And there's going to be this great banquet. And God's going to come back and get us. And you got people who, and this is getting in the weeds, but you got people who believe in pre-tribulation and mid-tribulation and post-tribulation and, and, and all of this stuff. And it's all convenient theology. It is. You think about why you believe what you believe. Most people believe what they believe because they want to believe what they believe. Right? And so we say, God, you're not going to let me down, which again is true. We expect that of God. Why do we expect it? Because we benefit from it. We benefit. It's theology that I want. Now, again, it's true. It's certainly beneficial to us, but it's true. So here is the question. Here's the question. Why would God have to preserve something that is eternal? Think about it. Why would God have to preserve something that is eternal? You only preserve things that don't last. Right? Think about it. Now, this is opposite of our thinking. I like guacamole a lot. 
right? And so how do you get guacamole? You get an avocado, and then you let it ripen, and then you open it, and then, you know, Melanie puts some nice seasoning, pepper, and some other things in it, and it's delicious. I love it. But it only lasts for one meal, right? You ever, maybe you have some tricks. You know, we put lemon juice in ours, and, but, you know, we want it to taste good. But you leave guacamole out for a day, and it's not green anymore, right? It's brown, and I'm not eating brown guacamole. That's just disgusting, right? And so it's gone, and so you have to preserve it, right? We have refrigeration for what? For preserving things. So why is it that we expect God to preserve something that is eternal? Doesn't make any sense. Here's the reality. He doesn't have to preserve it. It's everlasting, it was before the foundation of the world, and it'll exist after the existence of the world. Our salvation is not contingent upon anything that we did. It's solely a gift that comes from God. And there is nothing that you or I can do, or anyone else for that matter, that can damage or separate, according to Romans chapter 8, us from the love of God, which is the salvation that He has created for us before the foundation of the world. Amen? So in other words, in other words, listen to me here. Genuine salvation produces perseverance. If you're saved, you're going to make it to the end. You're going to make it. Look, even if you don't want to, which you will because you're saved, you are going to make it to the end. How do you know that? Because it's eternal. There is no preservation because salvation doesn't need preserving. That's good stuff. Listen, I know I just said it, but that is good. That is good. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. That's the South Mississippi term, right? That is good. The evidence, listen, the evidence then of my salvation is what? Perseverance. It's perseverance. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm trying to connect all the dots here. So if we give up, well, what does that say about our salvation? Right? What is it declaring to be true about God? Did, did he place his spirit in you? Is his spirit eternal? Then guess what? So is your salvation. The evidence of my salvation, the evidence of your salvation is perseverance. You have built in perseverance in your life even if you don't like it. Even if you don't want to walk through difficult situations, even if you don't want to take a three-and-a-half journey with Pastor Tony into the jungles of Brazil, you're going, right? Because that's who God is. So salvation, salvation inherently perseveres. Salvation inherently perseveres. The last blank before that is eternal. I said it but didn't click on it. Why would God have to preserve something that is eternal? Well, it's because salvation inherently perseveres. So if you're saved in here tonight, you're going to make it. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you have an internal fortitude that will cause you to make it to the other side. The salvation that has been granted to me by God produces in me the perseverance to endure. The perseverance to endure. You know, we, we've said this a lot. I, I love this quote. Long obedience in the same direction, right? 
Staying focused on God, long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction is not some super Christian ability. It is the ability of every person who possesses the Spirit of God. If you're saved, you will persevere. So perseverance is an indication of salvation, said another way. Perseverance is an indication of salvation. So, James chapter 1. It's on your handout. James chapter 1, verse 2. This is what James said. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, Paul says endure in persecution. James is saying uh, that we would count it all joy. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sounds a lot like salvation to me, right? Right? That we would be lacking nothing. And so testing, testing then produces perseverance according to James here. The, the, the root of this word points to the idea of remaining under. So perseverance essentially is the picture of a person who successfully carries a heavy load for a long time. Who carries a heavy load for a long time. So what James is doing is he's conjuring up this thought of like a muscle that becomes strong in resistance. So Christians learn to remain faithful over the long haul uh, when they face, when we face difficulty. And so, again, we started with the fact that difficulty is, is, is normal, right? But here's the deal. Life's difficulties, they're not meant to defeat you. They're not meant to depress you. And they're not meant to discourage you. Life's difficulties are meant to develop you. They're meant to develop you into who God wants you to be. Listen, I've learned my greatest lessons in difficulty. There are so many things that I now know about God that I never would have experienced if it weren't for hard times. And I, I mean, I'll even take it a step further. I think it's very difficult to know God until you've been in a difficult situation, right? Because what are you going to seek, right? If you think everything's good and then you want to add Jesus, well, you're the rich young ruler, right? And so, until you experience the difficulties of life, it's hard to experience the reality of Jesus. You see, difficulties of life are intended by God to refine our faith so that our faith might be pure and valuable before the Lord. Don't stray away from it. You're equipped to face it. The question is, how do we respond in that? And so, as James is talking about this testing of faith, well, this testing of faith is not intended to determine whether a person has faith or not. That's not what James is saying. It is intended to purify faith that already exists. Remember, your eternity is based on an eternal fact of salvation, the reality that it exists forever. And so, this the testing of faith that James is talking about is not God saying, oh, nope, they failed the test, They're, they weren't really saved. But it's saying, no, you are saved, and I'm refining your faith to be who I created you to be. And so this perseverance, the result of it, James says, is that it would have the perfect or completed work 
for what God has in store for us. So the question we ask ourselves in those situations then is not when is this over, but what are you teaching me? Right, God, what is it you want me to learn in this situation? What do you want me to know about you? Maybe, maybe God is not teaching you something about someone else, or maybe he's not even teaching you something about himself. Maybe he's teaching you something about yourself. Right? I've learned a lot of things about Matt when things didn't go Matt's way. You see, in James chapter 1, verse 12, this is what the Bible says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now remember, James says, count it all joy, 10 verses later, when you face difficulty. And then he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast during those difficulties. He says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So according to this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. According to this, the crown of life is the result of perseverance. Isn't that what it says? It's the result of perseverance. And so we ask, God, what are you showing me? God, what do you want me to know about this? And so our testing, our trials are produced through temptation, through difficulty, through trials. So perseverance is birthed in faith, it's rooted in hope, and it's founded in trust, right? And so here's some walkaways for us tonight. Here's some takeaways. Well, what can we do the next time? Maybe you're in a difficulty. Here's what you do. We, we talked about it. Now here's action. You say, write this down, keep this paper, because you'll face one in the coming weeks, if you're not in one now, how do we face it? Well, number one, don't give out in difficulty. Don't give out. In other words, don't give up. Don't, don't, don't give up to the situation that you find yourself in. What you, you know, just like with Moses, when the battle was going and he started losing strength and his hands started going down, he had to have people around him to hold his hands up and say, hey, we got you, we're, we're with you. Right? That's what your community is for. Don't give out in difficulty. The things that count the most cost the most. Right? And so don't give up when you face a difficulty. Number two, don't give in to discouragement. Don't give in to discouragement. Job is a great example of that. His wife, his friends were all like, bro, you, you got to give up on this God thing. This is not working for you. And what did Job do? He persevered. He stayed faithful to what? Who he believed in. And so don't give in to discouragement. The naysayers are not the ones you need to be listening to. You need to talk to people that are on the other side, all right? Don't talk to somebody who hasn't done it. Don't talk to somebody who quit. Talk to somebody who finished. That's who you want to talk to. You want to run a marathon? Talk to somebody who ran a marathon, right? Don't talk to somebody who likes donuts. They're not going to help you. Talk to somebody who's done it. Talk to somebody who's on the other side. Don't give in to discouragement. Listen, people, people want you to fail. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's true. God doesn't want you to fail. God wants you to succeed, and He wants you to su succeed so much that He's guaranteed your success. So don't listen to the naysayers that you're not going to make it or God doesn't love you or whatever it is that they may say. Listen to people who made it to the other side. That's who you want to talk to. You were made to survive. 
Don't believe the lie that it's too much or it's too heavy. That is not true. All throughout Scripture, it is about perseverance and it's about succeeding. It's about finishing. Paul says, run the race that you may finish, right? It's about finishing the race. Don't give in to discouragement. And last but not least, and certainly uh, I think maybe my favorite for tonight, is don't forfeit what you don't know for what you do know. Think about it. Don't forfeit what you don't know for what you do know. Faith, listen to me, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You and I have no idea what God has in store for us. We have yet a glimpse of what glory is like. Don't trade what you don't know for what you see right in front of you. It's not worth it. Whatever the difficulty may be, whatever the resolution that is temporary may be offered, it is not worth it. Do not forfeit tomorrow for today. It's not worth it. Well, I hope you've been encouraged, maybe challenged tonight on perseverance. God has built you and I to persevere. The way that we persevere is in community. We do not persevere on an island. God made us to persevere together. And so if you are going through a difficult time, I, I want you to know that God has people around you, just like Paul when he walked in uh, to the city of Athens in uh, Acts chapter 17. God said, I've got people in this town. God has people around you that he has placed around you strategically, intentionally for this moment. Let people help you. Let people walk with you. Raise your hand. Ask for help. Go to a friend that you love, that you know loves you, that you trust, and say, I need some help. Whatever it may be, don't pretend that everything is okay. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has difficulty. Everybody has hardship. You were never meant to walk that road alone. And so ask for help. Put down your pride. This is not about who's perfect because we've all, we've all resolved to the fact that none of us are. And the reality is that God's put people around you that he wants to help you. So let people help you, okay? And if you're on a mountaintop, look around. You've got the best view right now. It's easy to see things. So find somebody that you see struggling and say, hey, I want to let you know I'm praying for you. How can I encourage you? Or randomly do something kind for them. All right, if you're on the mountain, it's the best view, right? But don't relish in that. Count it a blessing and be grateful for it and then leverage it for the kingdom because not everybody's on the mountain and not everybody's in the valley. We're all somewhere at one point or the other, and so God put us together so that we could encourage each other at the different stages of life that we find ourselves in. Amen? So this Christmas season, you know, there's people that have lost loved ones. It's the first time that they've gone through that this year. Go to their house. Invite them to yours. Spend time with them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Uh, there's people that, uh, you know, are going through hard times right now with difficulties and struggles. Be aware of that. Look, look for opportunities to love people. Uh, don't wait to be asked. You know, oh, I'll help somebody if they ask me. No, look for opportunities. Ask God that he would give you the eyes to see that you can serve people and that you can love people in these moments so that he can be honored and glorified through it and that they would see a version of God that they have yet to experience. Amen? You and I are ambassadors for the kingdom, and ambassadors shine the brightest in difficult situations.